Warning, this is not your average podcast. We don't do I'm average around here. Boring doesn't exist. And we don't have patience for small-minded, petty excuses. Maybe I'm just not good enough. We're all about getting real, staying motivated, and taking imperfect action. This is The Daniel Geffen Show. And now, introducing your charmingly unfiltered, overly obsessive, yet refreshingly insightful host, Daniel Geffen. All right, we've got Rabbi Mitch Goldstein on the show as our special guest this Sunday. How are you doing, Mitch? I am fantastic. How are you, Daniel? I'm doing good. Apparently, we're both boiling schmoiling because you're in, where are you? Arizona, right? Sunny Arizona, only 111 degrees Fahrenheit today. You know, chilly. Oh, my God. Only 111 Fahrenheit. Now, I, I think we're doing about 90... I think we're in the 90s, so pretty, you know, a bit chillier than where you are, but uh, <laughs> still, it's pretty, pretty decent. Um, cool. So a little bit of background for the audience. Um, Mitch and I know each other. We were both rabbis uh, in California, um, and uh, it was a very, very interesting situation where pretty much um, Mitch was in Santa Barbara, right? You were the rabbi uh, of the University of Santa Barbara. That's right. And, and we were going to take over your position. There you go. Uh, but uh, I decided that living on the beach was just too comfortable. And uh, <laughs> I didn't want to be a beach bum, so I decided to turn it down. But that's kind of a little bit of way of background of how we know each other. But Mitch, why don't you uh, share with the audience uh, who you are, uh, what, you, what your background is, and kind of what you're up to today. So um, it's really interesting. Um, I actually grew up in the UK, although now I'm in America, uh, as you said. And I uh, was a rabbi on campus for the last 11, almost 12 years um, wow. in, in North America. I was in Santa Barbara, as you said, for two years at UC, UCSD. Then uh, a few years in a slightly colder climate of Toronto, and then decided to re- return to the sunshine to sunny Arizona, where we have 350 glorious days of sunshine a year. Um, wow. I grew up in the sunshine, both physically and emotionally, I guess you'd say. Um, I actually uh, was born and raised in a place called Hackney, um, Hackney Central. And mm-hmm. um, today it's known for postcode gangs. Um, it's known for violence. Um, I watched wow. it recently, and they called an area near where my high school was. Um, it's called the Murder Mile. Um, oh, my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, life was tough. You know, people always laugh when I say I grew up in the hood because they can't imagine that there's a hood in, in Britain. And people can't yeah. imagine that, you know, me as a rabbi grew up in the hood. People laugh. But I actually did. And going to school every day was running the gauntlet, getting mugged. Um, really? You got mugged? I, oh, many times. No. Many times. Really? Many times, what, yeah. With a, um, with a knife or, or just... With a knife, with, with fists, with everything, with, yeah. Oh, many my times. goodness. <laughs> um, wow. But one thing that I noticed about my life in the hood was people's mindset in the hood. <laughs> and it is sometimes, it's not always the case... Um, but I can talk about my group of friends, my 
where I grew up and how, you know, what I experienced was two things. Number one, this idea of victimization, that whatever mm -hmm. situation you are in, it is the fault of someone else, okay? Now, you could say it was society, you could say that it was corporations, you could say that it was the government, you could say that it was your circumstances, but you are the victim of that situation. That's what mm -hmm. I found. People felt that way. And, you know, I started to recognize that that way of thinking wouldn't necessarily get you out of that situation and could prolong the situation. Okay, so that was one aspect that I started to notice. The other aspect was shunning any type of success. Now, again, this is only my experience, and it's only my group of friends, and it's very anecdotal. So I don't want to reach it to other people, just to what my experiences were, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay, which was that, you know, a person would say, oh, that person was successful. They managed to get out of the hood, or they made a success of themselves. That was a negative thing, and really how bad your life was, was a competition in which you wanted to win that competition. Right. right? And I also yeah. noticed that, you know, arguing or, or talking about how bad your life was and comparing that to other people and wanting it to be worse than someone else, I also could see would not be helpful in life. So I started. You're, you're saying you're saying that basically people in the hood, the way that you kind of, you the way you kind of I showed off, was saying, oh well, I'm in a worse position than you. Like check me out. Like look what I've had. Yeah. Right. It's worse My than you. My life has been harder than yours. This challenge right. has been harder than yours. And so self pity almost. It's almost like, and it's wearing it I with don't pride. Want to say it's self pity. I want to say that. It is a badge of honor to say that your situation is worse than someone else's. Got it. I hear that. Okay. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. So now, yeah, that makes sense. Looking at both of those scenarios, I thought to myself, you know, I could be stuck here forever. I do remember being in an assembly at school. I don't know if they have them in America, where the whole school comes together. Um, yeah. And basically, uh, they wanted to show students who had graduated from our high school and they were a picture of success. And um, this person was uh, the store manager in a shop called Iceland, which they don't have in America, but it's mm -hmm. uh, a, food, a food store. And he was like, if you want to really make it in life, you could be like this person. And I said, that, <laughs> I'm really happy for this person who has made it to that, but I am stuck because... I really feel that I want to go beyond that, hmm. you know? And yeah. so I was stuck in a scenario and it was really interesting. I do attribute not just mindset, but being in the right place at the right time. In Judaism, we call that Hashlacha Pratit, um, divine providence, because I asked many, many successful business people, including the owner of Westfield's malls, um, mm -hmm. Australian guy, he lives in Santa Barbara he's actually a Jewish guy um, and they have, I believe they have some Westfield malls in the UK as well these days um, mm -hmm. like from all over California, Australia um, and I asked him, you know what's your secret for success I was blown away by his two answers um, he's not a deeply religious person, but one of the answers mm -hmm. was that he, doesn't matter where he goes in the world, he does stop and make sure that he's home for Shabbat with his family which I was blown away by. 
mm-hmm. in the middle of a deal and he would stop. And the other thing he said was that sometimes you're just in the right time and the right place. And that's what I call Hashkacha Pratit, Divine Providence. So I was uh, through um, a, ca- a Jewish camp that I decided to go to um, over the summer because I did want to meet some Jewish people being in a school with myself and my cousin being the only two Jewish students in the whole school. Um, I wanted to meet some fellow Jews. And while I was there, um, my father was waiting, and I'll talk a bit about my father later. My father was waiting uh, for us after we went on a day trip. Um, And he was speaking to one of the mothers, and she asked my father where I went to school, and he told her, and she said, are you out of your mind? Mm. And I just want to tell you that my parents fought really hard because they were going to send me to another school, which I think I can say the name of now that it's been closed down, but it was Hackney Downs Boys School. And Mm -hmm. we went to visit on the day, which was like, come and check out our school. And everybody's meant to be on their best behavior. And I witnessed Mm -hmm. about five physical fist fights in classrooms as we were being taken around. Oh my goodness, man. If I go here, I will get killed. I will get eaten alive because I was not that good. You know? So So let me ask you this. Can we we backtrack for a second? So you're talking about victimization. I think it's a really important (laughs) topic as well. Go on. So I'll tell you, you know, like I have had so many situations where I could have said I am the victim in this situation and rather I've taken it and been able to use it as a as an impetus to change something. Okay? So I'll give you an example of this. Like I said, I was in the school and I managed to get myself, I worked really hard and I managed to get myself a scholarship to a really awesome and amazing school called Carmel College. And that helped me get out of the hood, right? You still there, Daniel? Oh. I make this relatable to everyone because there are obviously there are people listening to this. They, you know, they didn't have such an extreme uh, upbringing. Um, you've you've worked with how many college students, roughly in the eleven years as a rabbi? Would you say roughly oh how many thousands? Give me a rough thousands. thousands okay, so you've worked with thousands of college students, right? Yeah. And you know, a, a lot of them haven't come from that type of background. A lot of them have actually come from more of a, uh, I guess, uh, what's it called? Um, you know, privileged background, right? Yeah. But they also feel, in a sense, somewhat victimized, right? I mean, what would you say as a rabbi of, who has worked with thousands of students over the years, what has been, uh, I guess, the most common reason why people are stuck or they feel stuck and they feel like they can't achieve what they want? in life so i think that um two major things is uh dealing with with adversity some people have been privileged and they haven't had the the challenge of dealing with adversity and then when they get to college they now have to deal with adversity and that is difficult for them okay Mm -hmm. and uh it could be roommates it could be you know someone that they end up doing business with it could be um, just life not going the way that you expect it to go and how do you deal with that adversity and so my number one thing is positivity and I think that you get the most out of the world when you are a positive person um, you know I've noticed it just when like you go to the supermarket and you meet someone in the supermarket and you smile at them I've noticed it when you when you get on the phone with the customer service agent and you ask them how their day is going and you inquire about them and you just ask them a little bit about their life before you start the phone call and you see how 
they will bend over backwards to do anything for you. Giving a smile to another person and just whatever you do, when you approach with positivity, you will be able to achieve much more than if you approach it with negativity. You know, in every challenge, there yeah. is obviously obvious negativity, but the negativity and focusing on that negativity will not help you solve the problem. Mm -hmm. So you have to focus on the positivity in something in any small way that you can, even if it's that there is a person who can help you with your problem and that you're going to be nice to them instead of mean to them. Right. You're going right. To, right. So that's one aspect. I think another aspect is believing in yourself. And this is, I think the hardest thing. A lot of people suffer from uh, depression. A lot of people suffer from low self-esteem and, we oftentimes, you know, cause other people to view us in the way that we view ourselves. And the truth is, is that if we can project positivity out, in other words, if I went into a room, I'm going to network a room of people. I have to meet a room of people. I need to network them, them now. I walk, I stop before I walk in the room and say, everybody is going to want to talk to me. There may be two people in this room that they're just like weird, they're different, and they don't want to talk to me. But on the whole, everybody's going to want to talk to me. Walk in with a smile, put out your hand, and be positive. And what I have found is whenever you put out positivity, you will receive positivity. And whenever you put out negativity or apprehensiveness, you will receive that back. So walk into a room, walk into a situation, walk into an interview, walk into any situation of adversity, with a smile on your face, with the outstretched hand, and walk in saying, I'm going to kill this, and be shocked if you don't. And I have found so many people have wanted to talk to me. You know, I do something which is really hard, which is I walk onto a, a college campus trying to find Jewish students, and I do something crazy, which is I ask random people if they're Jewish. And it's like sales on crap. Do you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Right. It sells on crack, and it's probably one of the hardest things that you could do. I deal with my rejection by going on and, and trying to find someone who I really don't think is Jewish in any way and getting my first rejection just like out of the way. And then yeah. after that, I assume that any person who I meet is going to want to talk to me, and I'm going to be really positive. And, it, and I've, t I've become a really positive person because of it. It's not something that I fake it. I actually am, right. but it's become part of me now. Because I've mm. practiced it so much, it is, it is a, a life skill that I've been able to develop. Right, and, and interestingly enough, you know, just before we got on this call together, you know, I, I reached out to you and I asked you, you know, about uh, how you're feeling because your father just, you know, passed away, and um, you know, you you immediately just said, you know, you know, uh, something positive. Uh, um, you you're just really positive about the situation. And, um, and in fact, you even opened up and, and talked about how, um, you know, you look up to him um, because, you know, he suffered with blindness and he was such a giver. Can you talk a little bit about, I guess, your dad? Because obviously, you know, he's had a, a, a huge impact on your life and who you are as a person. Absolutely. So my father, God rest his soul, um, was an amazing, incredible person. And um, he suffered, as you said, he suffered from blindness. And something that I noticed um, at the Shiva, which is the, you know, the Jewish mourning period, is that people were coming to me and telling me story after story after story, and I witnessed stuff like this myself, 
where he would just go above and beyond for everyone else. And you would think if you were disabled, your number one priority is just to take care of your own needs and try and survive. And yet my father was a person who that wasn't, that was like an afterthought. He literally would give you the shirt off his back. He was an incredible person. So I witnessed it one time. It's just like a crazy story that my kids love me, love me sharing, but it just gives you an idea. So my father couldn't drive because he was blind. Um, would have to take public transport in London to from where he lived in uh, in London to um, Edgware, which was the closest, closest area to get like kosher food. And it would yeah. take him, you know, three hours round trip to get there and back. I went with him one time. We came back. He walked in the front door. He lived in Jewish assisted living. And there was a lady there, and it was just before the Jewish Sabbath. We have, you know, challah bread. And mm -hmm. she said, oh, if, I'd, if only I'd known you were going, I would have asked you to get some for me, Henry. And he's, without even blinking an eye, he handed her the challah and said, oh, don't worry. It was Thursday. Don't worry. I'm going back tomorrow on Friday. I can get some more. Now, mm -hmm. it took him three hours to go round trip. And wow. there was no way that he was planning to go back the next day. And without even batting an eyelid, that he would have to do another three hours round trip to get Hannah's for himself. Mm. Straight away. He was completely selfless. He was an extremely positive person. And, you know, you know, people always say that he was out of the building more than he was in the building. I'll give you an example. After he retired at the age of 55, um, he was kind of... Um, around the house a lot, and he decided that he didn't want to be um, not doing anything, so he volunteered. There was a store in, um, like, the Friends of Northwick Park Hospital, and he volunteered there every single day. Mm. And it was crazy. Like, I heard stories. Uh, there was a cleaner who just came, who happened to be helping him the last couple of years. She said she remembered when she was younger going to the hospital, and no one could get close to the reception so they would go to him and he would tell them where to go in hospital the blind guy helping my goodness in the hospital um his brother was also blind and i and he used to take his brother out and i always used to joke that it was the blind uh leading the blind, leading the blind, the blind, blind. leading the blind do you know what's fascinating mitch is that i think your father kind of just gave us the answer to how do you stay positive and how do you overcome adversity and how do you get out of that, you know, sort of that mindset of just being stuck in, in where you are. And that is that if you get out of yourself and you focus on others, then, then there's no reason not to be positive because you're not focusing on yourself. You're not in your own head. And what I find, and you said this about how, you know, a lot of the college students you worked with uh, suffer with depression and, doubt right and you know not believing in themselves and all of those things can only happen when you're focusing on you right if i'm sitting in my own head then i then i allow those thoughts to come in but if i'm too busy helping other people i don't have time to think about myself you know your father could have sat there in self-pity and feeling sorry for himself and saying oh i'm blind like i can't believe this like you know why did this happened to me poor me but instead he focused outwardly and and that's what that's how he was able to stay so positive. Um, and, you know, my grandfather, who went through the Holocaust and went through 13 different concentration camps wow. and watched his whole, you know, family murdered, he was too busy helping people to be depressed. And he had plenty to be depressed about. Right, absolutely. And, and I think that, in, in a sense, that's, in a way, if we were to kind of summarize this conversation and 
you know, sort of almost take something out of it, it's this. It's that if you, if you focus on other people and you focus on giving, then you don't get caught up in your own little world of, you know, poor me or I can't do this. And, you know, when, when someone's drowning, you don't question whether you can swim. You don't question whether you're capable of saving them. You jump in that ocean. You, you jump in and save them. If there's, if there's a kid drowning in an ocean, you jump in. You don't question yourself. And so when you focus on other people and your mission is to help people and to make their lives better and to give and how much can I help and how much can I impact others, then you don't have time to doubt yourself. There's no, <laughs> there's no time for that, right? I, it's, I, I always say that the most selfish thing you can do is be selfless. Yeah, that's brilliant. I like that. You give to other really people. Like and you gain so much. Not that you should do it necessarily for that purpose, but mm. you gain so much. You know, one thing that I ask people um, to connect to this is to think about their favorite food and what it is. And ask, how do you feel when you're eating it? They feel great. And how do you feel the next day? And if you would eat it every single day for every meal, would you reach a point? They say, absolutely. Then I say, you know, have you ever been to a party? Yeah. How do you feel? Great. How do you feel the next day? Not so good, right? If you want that pleasure again, what do you have to do? Do it all over again. Is there a satiation point? Absolutely. If you did it every day, you'd, you'd be sick of it. Like, you know, I want you to focus on and think about a moment when you helped someone, when you did something. How do you feel when you're doing it? Now answer the question yourself, right? For most people, I felt good when I was doing it. And how do you feel the next day still felt good. And how do you feel now thinking about that action that you did, that thing that you did? You still feel good. We're reaching an aspect of ourselves which is beyond the selfish level and connecting to something much, much deeper, whatever level you want to describe that as. But we can talk about it in, in different terms. But at the end of the day, you're reaching within yourself so much deeper and you're bringing out some connection, whether it be people, right, or yourself, which you cannot crystallize in the moment of selfish pleasure. I love it. So I think when you focus on that, you actually not only gain this thing of like not, as you said, not focusing on yourself, but you actually actualize an aspect of yourself which is so deep within you that you bring out this positivity within you. How can you not be positive? Awesome about helping other people. Love it. Love it. It's such a it's 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 huge and it's it's something that needs to be spoken about more and internalized. And for those that want to continue the conversation, um, you know, head over to the Daniel Geffen show group on Facebook, uh, Mitch will be in there. And if you want to ask Mitch any questions at all, you know, you can reach in there. Also, Mitch, what are your social, uh, uh, what's it called? How do they find you on social media? Well, I guess I'm, I am, um, on Facebook, uh, Mitch Goldstein one, I think okay. I am. Um, Mitch and I, unfortunately I've not learned from the great masterful and wonderful Daniel Geffen and I'm not on Twitter uh -huh. or anything like that. But maybe I'm Daniel. Not Twitter either. <laughs> okay, fine. But I'm not on so many social media things. Maybe Daniel's going to help me with uh, actualizing that aspect of my life. Who knows? Cool. All right. Sweet. So, Mitch, thank you very much for coming on the show. 
uh, fascinating stuff. And uh, for those of you listening, um, you know, if you want to be a guest on this show, reach out to me in the group. And uh, who knows, maybe next week I'll be uh, having you on the show. Thank you so much again, Mitch. And we'll speak to you guys all tomorrow. My Bye. absolute pleasure. I'm a big fan. So keep up. <laughs> Thank you, Mitch. Take care. Bye for now. You just heard another imperfectly perfect, powerful piece of positivity, practical perceptions from your daringly dashing host, Daniel Geffen. Don't foolishly miss out on other epic episodes. Uh Uh-oh. So go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Go on, give it a smash, then get on with your day. And don't forget to make it epic.